Acts chapter 2. A message that uh, kind of goes along with what uh, Pastor is going to be or has started already on Sunday evenings. I uh, debated really kind of where to where the Lord would have me fit this in, but I think it's going to uh, be good for our Sunday school time this morning. Just on the importance of the church, he's dealing with that uh, a series of messages on church membership and uh, kind of raising the importance of the church in the evening service. He started last week, and he'll be continuing that uh, next next week, I, I guess, or in the future. And uh, but I wanted to I actually talk to him about this this passage. I wanted to bring the, some thoughts from Acts chapter two about about the church, the basics of the church. We see the early church here, and I think it's very helpful for us to see kind of the first church and how what they were doing. We'll uh, deal with that prim- landing primarily in, in verse forty-two. Will be our uh, main points there. But most, uh, most of us, I think probably all of us that are here uh, this morning in this class time, have uh, certain things that we would say that we can't live without, okay? Basic uh, necessities is the way I, I put it, and um, things that we, we need. And now in the practical things of life, uh, we need, well, we need some air, right? And we need oxygen. We need food and water, right? Those are pretty pretty necessary, you understand, right? And uh, that's, so that's what I'm talking about. So we need, you know, air, food, water, and, and a cell phone. Yeah, you can't, you can't really live without that, can you? Huh? Well, we could. I could, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'm just kind of giving in to having a cell phone right lately. Anyway, uh, but, <laughs> yeah, I'm behind the times. But uh, we all have them. So ladies, you have some necessities, some things that you need in your kitchen, right? What would they be? What are some things in your kitchen that you just, you know what, <laughs> you can take a lot of things away, but it, a spatula? Huh? You got, Kathy needs it so much, she's got it with her. Yeah, that's something, huh? She's carrying her spatula around. Yeah. Now, I could have lived without a spatula growing up because my mother used one of them for something else. Yeah, mm-hmm, on my brother, yeah. No, now let's see here. Other than Kathy's spatula, what, I mean, I'm, let's have a little feedback here. What, what are some things that you you got to have? Pots and pans, a what? A stove, that's pretty important. Your ki- KitchenAid, yeah. Yeah, my wife went without her KitchenAid mixer for years. When we were in Nova Scotia, the church family actually bought her one for Christmas. And they bought her one of those ones that you can mix mortar with if you want to. Uh, yeah, it's heavy duty, you know, yeah, commercial grade. It is, and it's fantastic. I like what comes out of that thing. So that's right. You got to have a stove, you got to have pots and pans, and you got to have a KitchenAid. And maybe probably you have your own list. Now, guys, what is it for us in our shop or in our garage, under our bed, you know, wherever else? Yeah, what, what is it? What are some things we can't live without? Guys? I know you're a little more reserved, a little more quiet, don't like to say much. Our wife, yeah. That's, well, amen, that's right. And God knows that, right? That's why he gave us a help me. A good one, yeah. The awful thing is I hadn't thought of that. It's not really what I was thinking of. I was thinking more on the, uh, in the shop and that kind of thing. Do we, and maybe some of you do, do need your wife in the shop. I don't know. But maybe in the, wor- in the, work, in the workshop, in your garage, what do you need? Tools, yeah, huh? 
And I say, yeah, you can't even live without a cordless drill anymore. And no project is complete unless you use power tools, <laughs> right? You know all about it. So that's what we're talking about. Just, uh, I, know, uh, uh, I know, to kind of get the context of what we're looking at here in the early church, what are some, some basic things that were present in the early church that we see kind of unfolding as God is putting, uh, as the Lord is putting the church t- together? Now, we know that the, the church is, is it's Christ's church. It's Jesus is the head of the church. And Pastor Mark went over that last Sunday evening. He said that the promise was given in Matthew 16, 18, where he says, Jesus speaking to Peter and the other disciples, And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. I will do it. I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That was a promise that he was making at that point to his disciples about what was coming. He was going to and is still building his church. Now, if building... Anytime you build, it involves some things. And this is all still introduction, but we'll get to Acts 2 in a minute. He says, it's a promise, I will build. But building is a, you know, you know I alliterate about everything, okay? So it's also, building is what? It's a, it's a process. That's a process. And building the church is a process. It, and it's something that is done over time. It involves also a plan, doesn't it? Uh, you need to have a plan when you're going to build something. I remember uh, years ago when we had our house over here on the Mountain Lane Road, we, uh, I wanted to build a mudroom on the back, and I asked Tim Weymouth, Tim, can you make me a plan? I'm not really a builder, but I knew if Tim drew the plan, then it was going to be right, and if I followed the plan, it would work. And you know what? It did. It did. So that's what I'm talking about. There's a plan in place. And that, that plan in, the, in Jesus building the church is seen in Ephesians 2, 20 and 21. The foundation of the apostles and prophets are talked about. Jesus Christ himself uh, is the chief cornerstone. So it's built on the Lord Jesus Christ, on the truth of the word of God. That's the foundation. He used the apostles and the prophets to, to start it all out. And uh, it involved a plan because you have to have something to build with and you have to have something to build on, right? It involves a plan. Also involves purchase. You have to buy some things, but it's Jesus himself that bought the church, right? Acts 20, 28, uh, 20 verse 28 says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. So just like you kind of get the picture, right? You're going to build. He's going to build his church. He promises to do that and is still doing that. It, it, it uh, has a plan, a process is involved. And then the, the other thing that is involved here is also people. People. We're involved, aren't we? I hope so. We're part of the church. We're part of the church. So, and uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 9 says, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. We're the building. We're the church. As we know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we become part of a church, we join together, committed to that church, we are become part of the church that Christ is building. 
So it's important for us, isn't it? We understand that now, kind of the, where, where we are and what the church is and, and how it's all started. It's the plan of God for us to be part of, of that. The church, this word ecclesia, and it's pronounced different ways. I think uh, you'll hear it different ways, but that's the way I'll say it, is a called-out assembly of purchased or redeemed people purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ that are laboring or gathering together and we become the visible body, the local body, the local church. And in Acts chapter 2, now we see the beginnings of that as it's being established, being put together in the what we call the early, the early church. Okay, And so... Uh, Acts 2.42, I made it, I did make it there uh, eventually, and that gives us plenty of time now to look at this uh, four-point outline, very easy for us to see what uh, was part of the early church as they were starting and then as, they, as we continue even today. I think that these four basic elements, these necessities that are part of the early church are very helpful for us. I put it this way here, uh, descriptive of what they did and had, but also the word I use is prescriptive. In other words, it's prescribed uh, for us, for all churches. They must also have these, uh, must do them and have them in in our local churches. So descriptive of what they had and prescriptive for us today. Okay? You follow me? We're in Acts 2, verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in, and here it is, number one, the apostles' doctrine, and number two, fellowship, and in number three, breaking of bread, and in number four, prayers. You see it there? Those four things, four things. So the first thing is the apostles' doctrine, the apostles' doctrine. What an important aspect, all of these are important, obviously, they're in the Word of God, and they're in the part of the the early church, so... The, the apostles' doctrine is, is so important because there must be, and this is so true, there must be a receiving of truth and then this passing process also of passing it along to the next generation. And we are all part of that. I remember when I was young, I played football, and uh, I was the quarterback. I, was, uh, I, would, I would be the one passing the ball. And I wasn't, I was pretty good at passing it, but I wasn't as necessarily as good at receiving it. But in, and, uh, in football, it's important that both parts of it be there because you can pass it right on the money, so to speak, land it right in their hands. But if they don't catch the thing, the play fails, right? And it's also true with the passing of truth or the apostles' doctrine. You can have a perfect pass. You can have it laid right out to you land right in your hands or in your heart, but if you don't catch it and you don't receive it or you don't pass it on to the next person, then you've, you've messed it up. You've messed it up. You following me there? And so we're part of that whole process. The apostles' doctrine, where did they receive the truth from? It's not a trick question. That's right. It's, a, it's pretty simple. There was only one place. It was from Jesus himself. They, the apostles' doctrine, the 12 apostles, 11 really, I guess, and then uh, replacement of Judas, where we have the, the apostles' doctrine was given to them by Jesus. Of course, they were taught, and the Old Testament scriptures really uh, show, showed the Lord Jesus coming, but the Lord Jesus himself was who they learned from. What a teacher, huh? 
Aren't you glad they caught it and passed it on? And that began the church. And, and so they, they, they learned from Jesus himself. And uh, the Holy Spirit of God, of course, was given to them. We know that this is uh, just after Pentecost. So they have the Holy Spirit now that is guiding them and teaching them and bringing them to truth even more, making it illuminating their hearts and minds. And so they would have hearts to understand and also, of course, wrote so much of the Scripture that we have for us today so that we have the truth. But it's founded in the apostles' doctrine. And uh, the Holy Spirit, of course, teaches us truth. John 14, 17, it calls him the spirit of truth. And John 16, 13, Jesus said himself, He, this Holy Spirit, will guide you into all truth. We have the same Holy Spirit today. Don't you often look at the Acts chapter 2, if you read through that whole section, you see uh, things like what, what we see where uh, there were added, you know, 3,000 people to the church. <laughs> we say, wow. But it was the Holy Spirit was doing that. And truth, the same things that we have available to us today, there's no different, uh, nothing different going on. Uh, but that was, we have the same elements available to us. It's our duty today, a basic necessity. And we don't need theories or new ideas necessarily. We need the Word of God. We need doctrine. We need the truth of, of God's Word. What we receive, we are now going to pass on to others. Actually, uh, rather, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and I left a marker there. We looked at some verse, verses this morning from there already. But uh, this whole book, and I, I preached through 2 Timothy in our church, uh, Nova Scotia, and because I felt so, uh, it was so important, and 2 Timothy is so important in this whole process that is the passing on of truth with the Apostle Paul at the end of his ministry trying really to uh, instill in his son in the faith, Timothy, uh, the truth, uh, the truths that you wanted him to carry on and pass on to others. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse uh, 1, it says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So do you see that? that? Paul understood the importance of that. The apostles in Acts chapter 2 understood that. It was the apostles' doctrine. The things that we receive, we have a responsibility to pass on or to continue in. And we're all, we're all part, part of that whole thing. 2 Timothy 4, 2, because uh, he says, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and... And doctrine. So it's the embodiment of truth, the truth of the Word of God that is being passed on. We're all part of that. So the apostles, of course, receive doctrine from Christ. Now they pass it on to the people in the church that is being established and being built by the Lord Jesus. They received it. We've already said that. They remained in it in Acts 2.42, that verse that we they continued steadfastly. They remained in it. They didn't stray from it. Now, it's interesting, as churches were being uh, established in the New Testament, you read so much of how the, uh, the Apostle Paul was, of course, a big part of that. Uh, and he would go and establish, people would be saved, they'd establish a church. And then so many of the epistles are then written back to that church to instruct them 
or in some cases to correct error where they would strayed away from what they had been taught, right? So it, 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 he, here, it, early on, they were continuing steadfastly in that. They were going on in it. They received it. They remained in it. And then they repeated, they repeated that. So there was a, it kept going. It perpetuated and kept going. That's how the church began. Verse 41, I've already alluded to, the end of the verse says, In the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So somebody was imparting truth and carrying it on, right? It wasn't one person. It was a body of people. It was the church, starting with the apostles, what they received, and them spreading by multiplication being part of that whole, that whole thing. And uh, so important for us to understand that. Verse 46 and 47 also says, and they continued, uh, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So, so, so neat to see all of this. And it would have been exciting as well to be a part of it. But I also will say that it's exciting to be part of it today. We need to understand that we are part of it. Well, we can be. We need to be. As, uh, as the, the Lord is still building His church. And we can be part of, of, the, of this whole process. Any thoughts on any of that? The first one, just as we I'm going to move on to the next one. That's only one point. All right? So we're, we understand the pro, what is happening here. There's four basic necessities. And they continuing steadfastly in, number one, the apostles' doctrine. You got it? Are we continuing in that? Hmm. No, I guess not. Well, I, guess, I think we are. I think we are. We're, we're striving to, aren't we? Yeah, it's something that we, we are learning, we're growing, and then we can be a part of passing it on to the next generation. That's what's happening right here in Sunday school, isn't it? Our kids are downstairs being taught heresy. Well, I sure hope not, right? We know, we know they're not. And they're, they're being taught the truth. And they're passing it on. We're passing that on to, to the next generation, right? Because they're the next generation of the church. So if we miss part of that process, what happens to this church? What happened to so many churches, right? They close down. They go away. And they, they, the whole the process is, is, is uh, finished. It's done there. All right, we're... Continue on here, the apostles' doctrine. And then number two, very simply, fellowship. Fellowship. Two fellows in a ship going the same direction. That's I heard that once somewhere. Probably was from Pastor Anderson or something. I don't know. But there's two, it's fellowship. It's, uh, you're, you're going on. You're going on together. They're fellowshipping. And it's the Greek word koinonia, if I can say it that way. I don't know Greek uh, at all. But anyway, and we get English words, this, this word here, Fellowship in this verse, we also get English words of communion or community. Uh, and it's, it's seen even in verse 44, uh, the same base uh, of the word is seen. And all that believed were together and had all things, and the word is common. So it's the same basic word uh, in, that, in that word, common. Fellowship is, is interesting because it's, uh, it's partnering together. That's part of what God's designed for the church is that we are partnering together and uh, sh sharing in a common interest, in a common bond, we could say. 
And of course, uh, what, what is that common bond that we all have here in the church or as Christians? What's, what's our bond? Christ. There we go. That's Christ. It's, it's, it's in Christ. We're in Christ. We're with Christ. And it's, it's Christ is the bond. And that's what unites us together. Do you realize that? Uh, it, and that's why I put, I put it here in my notes. The fellowship of the believers, it has to start with salvation, doesn't it? It has to. It's where it has to start. Because, you know, we're a diverse group. I mean, that's, diverse is a kind word. Because I could use something like, we're weird, all right? And you say, well, I'm weird. Me, I can say that. And you're probably looking at the most different one here, right up front here. But so we have, as we kind of get uh, united together in Christ, in the church, we have to have a common bond because we're all different. We have different, think about our backgrounds, our upbringings, our likes, our dislikes, our gender. All of those things, and you put them all together, listen, it's, it's difficult to get two or three people to agree on something. They had 3,000 added to them in one day. If they didn't have a common bond in Christ, there was going to be a mess. Are you with me on that? So true, isn't it? Because if we, if we start operating under opinions and likes and dislikes, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fall apart. But if we have a bond in Christ and we're fellowshipping and we're united in that, then it's going to, be, uh, it's going to work. Otherwise, it's probably, probably not going to work very long anyway. In Philippians um, 1.5, Paul was thankful for the Philippians, the fellowship in the gospel, he says there, from the first day until now. Pastor Mark and I was talking about that last Sunday night. I think he mentioned that, that uh, section of Philippians chapter 1, a fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And I, I commented to him, I, I, I've shared a message or two, usually every message I think is more than one, it's a, a series, but uh, and you look back at Acts chapter 16 uh, is what Paul is referring to. A, a, a Philippians chapter 1, from the first day until now, the first day that he mentions there in Philippians 1.5 is found in Acts chapter 16. And the beginning of the Philippian church, as he goes and travels to Philippi and leads a lady to, to the Lord Jesus, her, her name is Lydia, the seller of purple. You can follow through that. That's the first day until now. Then there's a, a maid, a demon-possessed maid that, he, uh, that the demons are put out of her. You, you remember? Are you recalling? You're probably to, you can look at it. I'm not going to go there, but it's in Acts, Acts, Acts chapter 16. Lydia is led to Christ. He casts the demons out of a maid, and then he ends up in jail, uh, the Apostle Paul. You remember that? And who's he lead to Christ out of the jail? The Philippian jailer. Yeah, that's right. So that's the diverse group. You have a seller of purple, a maid that used to be demon-possessed, and a jailer and his family. So that's the nucleus of a church in Philippi. The first day until now. And he, the Apostle Paul, writes back to that group, however many were added to it, and he says, I, he's thankful for their fellowship in the gospel because that diverse group isn't going to work any other way. A rich lady that sells purple, dyed fabric, a demon-possessed maid, 
and a Philippian jailer, you put those three together, it's never going to work unless they have fellowship in the gospel. You get it? So that's what we're talking about. We're united in this. It starts with salvation. We have to be saved to be part of the church in the fellowship of the believers. And, you know, that's why uh, our unsaved loved ones and friends, they don't understand why we come to church. They don't get it. I mean, you say, what did you, you go to work tomorrow morning, and if they would say, well, what did you do yesterday? Well, I went to church. And they will think, why in the world did you do that? If they don't know Jesus Christ, they have no basis for understanding of that. They have no fellowship in Jesus Christ. They don't want any part of it. And we kind of think, we're thinking the other way. Why didn't they go to church? Man, if they'd just come to church, they'd understand. No, they wouldn't understand until they know Jesus. And then we want to be together. You see, that's where the fellowship has to begin. We know that, don't we? You know that this morning? It starts when we have no the Lord Jesus as our Savior. So it involves salvation. It involves singleness of mind, this fellowship, this focus. And um, verse 44 says that they were together. They were together. They're not closed-minded or single-minded. Well, they are single-minded, and they have to be in, uh, single-minded in, in Jesus. Philippians 2.1, the fellowship of the Spirit. Acts 2.46, uh, the verse 46 here in the passage, the singleness of heart, and that's the mind and heart of Christ. That's our singleness of mind. It involves salvation, singleness of mind. It involves sharing burdens. That's an important aspect of the fellowship of the church is sharing burdens. You see it in verse 45 here, they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. We can be a part of that. It's not communal living. That's not what's being promoted here. But it is uh, working together and caring and bearing one another's burdens, right? And we can be, a, we can be helpful to one another. That's what, it's, that's what it is. Now, they certainly had a, a more focused on that because as they would accept uh, the Lord Jesus as their Savior, in, the Jewish, in a Jewish culture, they would be thrust out of the home. They'd be separated. Well, they didn't have family necessarily anymore because they, you know, a Jewish family wouldn't want anything to do with them. But what if they now were part of this church and they had real needs? They needed one another, right? So that, that, that's, why they, that's why they did what they did there in verse 45, not to make some sort of commune to keep everybody else out, because they needed support. They needed support. So they were sharing the burdens. And then I, I also, this fellowship of the believers also was seen by others. And that's verse 47. I think it ought to be seen. I think that as the community and people that we uh, see and know kind of understand how much uh, we as the church are dependent on one another, how much we love one another, how much we're working together as the church. It ought to be seen by others. And really, you know, as they may not understand it completely, but it's something that they maybe would want to be part of as they see that bond together, the fellowship, the fellowship uh, that we have as his church. So it's amazing. It's amazing really how this all works. You see it? These two kind of basic necessities. It's the bread and butter. It's the uh, air, and food, and water, and cell phone. The basic necessities of the church. 
It's the apostles' doctrine. It's the truth that we are building the church on, that Jesus is building His church on, that we get to receive and that we get to pass on to somebody else. And then it's also fellowship. Fellowship. And of course, us, us uh, as Baptists, we say as Baptists, but as believers, I should say, as Christians, we know about fellowship. And I'll just say this again. Don't forget next Sunday's fellowship. Because fellowship involves what? Food. That's right. It involves food. And uh, we're going to do that. And, and that's, that's part of it. It is part of it. And... Uh, we get to the third one, the breaking of bread, which happens, I don't believe happens to be the actual breaking of bread, like we're going to have a church supper next. I think it is really dealing with the two, the ordinance given to the church and the breaking of bread and the Lord's Supper, okay? We had that last Sunday, uh, Sunday morning. So this, there are two ordinances, the breaking of bread and what's the other one? Two ordinances given to the church. Baptism. Baptism, breaking of bread. You can always remember it because it's alliterated. It's even God alliterates. Lord's Supper, breaking of bread, and baptism. And it's mentioned here uh, in the passage, verse 41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. Okay, so it's mentioned there. And baptism is, uh, is an outward identification with what Christ has done in my heart. I'm born again by faith in Jesus Christ, by the grace of God given to us, given to me. As a sinner, I realize that. I accept the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior and receive His forgiveness, receive His life, eternal life, right? And then I'm going to be baptized. The old man goes under, and the new man is risen, and, and that is symbolized in the, in the baptismal service, okay? And make sure we understand, understand that. And then the breaking of bread reminds us or continues that whole, pro uh, keeps it in the forefront of our mind in the sacrifice that he has made for me. It does, doesn't it? That breaking of bread, the breaking of his body and the juice as symbolizes his blood. We, we did all, we've just recently done all that as a church, so it's on the forefront of our minds. This, um, this breaking of bread keeps us near the cross, doesn't it? It does. Near the cross. And one man said this, the baptism represents our conversion to Christ and the Lord's table represents our communion in Christ. I, I like that. I like that. Our communion in Christ, in and around Him. And the communion table is, is a, a unifying thing. I think it's very helpful for us uh, to have communion, Lord's table, because it brings us back to the sacrifice of Christ what he has done for me, but also reminds us that he's risen and he's coming again. We do it till he come because he is coming, isn't he? And so it's, it's a basic necessity, a continual element that we see was found, found even in the early church. And they were pretty close to the cross, weren't they? Uh, just days or weeks away from that. Uh, and, and they, but they were continuing that. They were in the, uh, in the breaking of bread. Continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread. And they were being baptized as well. Well, baptism, I'll tell you, I'll just add this in here. Baptism in, in that day was, boy, it was a, a big step. A big step. Because you were separating from everything perhaps that you were ever taught and knew. And if you were identifying with this new thing, 
this Christianity thing, as it would be called later, a follower of Christ, uh, boy, you were turning your back on everything else. And it could, it could cost you your life if you, if you were baptized. Boy, you think that a lot, many would follow through the Lord's bapti- through baptism today if that's what, they, that's what it uh, would cost you. It cost you everything? I don't know. They were. They were still willingly doing that by, en masse, by the thousands. They were saying, you know what, I want to be part of that. I want people to know that I have chosen to follow Jesus Christ. And Jesus has saved my soul. So we have, it's so, so important. And so I think it's been kind of, it's been brought down in, in the importance of it uh, today. All right, anyway, then the, the breaking of bread. And the last one is, is prayers is prayers. And I, I don't think that we can um, overemphasize the importance of prayer. And we, we, I think we know it in theory. I know it in theory. But uh, prayer really does prove how much we pray. It really proves how much we realize we're dependent on God. Would you agree with that statement? It proves. I mean, because we like to say, well, you know, I... I, I do depend on Lord, and I need Him, and, and all of that. But then, how much do I pray? To really, that's how it, that's how it's acted out. That's how it's proved out. And if when we kind of skip over praying and, and the importance of prayer in our personal lives, and certainly as a, as a church, maybe we're saying, you know, well, I don't really need to pray because uh, I can I can I can handle it. I can handle this day. I can handle this situation. I don't really need to pray about it. You know, we would never say that, would we? Probably not. But in action, isn't that what we're saying when we don't pray? I don't really need the Lord's help. I don't really need the Lord's wisdom in this particular area because um, we just don't pray. Well, we do, we do need Him. And it's a, it's a basic necessity, even a command of Scripture, that we are to pray. We know the Bible says, I, I like this First Thessalonians uh, 5.17, I think it is. It says, uh, pray without ceasing. You ever have trouble memorizing Scripture? Uh, do you? Does anybody here have trouble memorizing Scripture? Some do. All right. Do, we all do, I guess. So there's a lot of hands there. But, you know, if you get discouraged in that, learn like, like this. Turn, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'll encourage you with this. All right? You're probably not encouraged at all this morning. So I'll, I'll try and find something to encourage you with. 1 Thessalonians. You say, I can't even say Thessalonians. And here you are turning to 1 Thessalonians. But you turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and beginning in verse 16, there's all kinds of verses here that you can learn. And you can kind of catalog these and say, you know what? Even I can learn Scripture. All right? 1 Thessalonians 5.16, what's it say? Don't look. I have to look at it. All right? Look at it first. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice evermore. Say it with me. Rejoice evermore. See? You can do it. The second one is easy too. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. I had it right. Uh, it says pray without ceasing. All right, so you can learn two verses in Sunday school this morning. 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice evermore. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray without ceasing. We did it without looking. <laughs> But see, it's so, it is easier to say than it is to do, isn't it? 
It isn't like we walk around, you know, with our hands clasped and our eyes closed, driving down the road. Some of you women probably do that when your husband's driving, but well, we can't walk around like that all the time, but we do have an attitude and a heart of dependence, don't we? That's what, that's what the Bible's talking about, is we, is we just are, we are realizing our dependence on God. James 5.16 tells us to pray one for another. If you ever have trouble wondering what to pray for, think of somebody else in the church or somebody that you know and pray for them. Pray for them. Because we all have needs, don't we? Some we understand and know. Some of them we realize are, are kind of more public. But then there's all the, the private things that we all battle with. You realize that? How many times have we thought that, you know what, I'm all alone. Nobody else has ever had this problem. You know what? Probably everybody else has had the same problem as one point or another, and we can pray for one another in it. Okay? So we really, prayer, prayer is, uh, we're dependent on, on prayer. It's, we need to pray for one another. First Timothy 2.8 says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere. And uh, so, so uh, necessary. I have this question that I think is convicting mostly to me. But I'll say it to all of us because misery loves company. If the existence of this church depended solely on your personal prayer for it, where would this church be? It is convicting, isn't it? How much do we pray for our church, for our pastor, for one another? Let alone the lost around us our community, and the outreach ministries of our church. We need to pray for one another. I realize this more and more and as time goes on. As, as being a pastor, I realize how important it is to pray for my pastor. And I pray, I pray for Pastor Mark regularly, regularly. I want to say every day, but it's probably not, okay? So I'll say regularly. That's more fair. But uh, I do pray for him on a regular basis that, the Lord would just help him. He needs God's help. I need God's help. You need God's help. But as our pastor, he really does need God's wisdom and leading the church and Holy Spirit to lead that in that. Pray, you know, if you can't think, I'll put it this way, if you can't think of anything else to pray for, pray for Pastor Mark. Can I encourage us all with that? Do that. Pray, pray for your pastor. And I realize how, uh, and it will help him. It will, it will help him. He'll, he'll know that. And tell him that you're doing so, and it will really encourage his heart. I'm so, uh, I'm so thankful that these basic necessities are not some profound thing that we can't achieve or we can't have or do. These are just so simple, aren't they? It's just, just basic things. It's the hammer and nails. It's the flour and sugar, the KitchenAid, the basic things. Just something that we can all be a, a part of. They're simple. Everyone can be involved. And the youngest ones, right up to the oldest ones, can all be part of this. We can continue steadfastly in the things that we've been taught, things that we know. There's some of you that know way more than I do, and you can impart that knowledge to me because <laughs> I probably need help and, or somebody else. 
And you can be a part of that, apostles' doctrine. The fellowship, oh, that's the part we like, right? Fellowship. And, and, and really being involved one with another so that we can support and help one another. The breaking of bread, it just shows our love for the Lord Jesus and his word and, and the church being united around the Lord's table and around the cross and then praying, praying. Well, we need to, again, just, I know I'm kind of talking to the core group, but, you know, prayer meeting really needs to be an active part of our, of our week uh, so we can be united together in corporate prayer. I think there's a lot involved with that. They say, well, I can pray. I can pray at home, and I hope we do. But there is something special and unique and, and I think important in Scripture about the church praying together and praying together with other believers. I, I want to encourage us all with that. This is all things, four things, that were part of the, of the early church and I think need to be part of every church and certainly need to be part of our church. Any comments? Add to that? Probably do a better job anyway. Regardless, say, Lord, bring anything to mind. Be helpful to us. Even in COVID, huh? these four things can be true. I think that. Yeah. All right. Let's pray together. Lord, we.